I'm Candace Long with Lessons in the Latter Days, offering biblical commentary to make sense of the times that we're living in. Today's topic is part two of the hidden signal in the Hebrew month of Nisan. I encourage you to listen to part one first so you'll understand the incredible significance of part two. In it, I explained the significance of God shifting the entire Hebrew calendar to make the month of Nisan the first month of the year for His people. This marked the beginning of the Exodus and gave His people a hidden signal to take note of. In part one, we saw how God used the month of Nisan to prepare us for the Messiah who was to come. Today, I'm going to show you how the Lord will use this same signal to show us when Messiah will return. And by the end of this episode, you will be able to identify the three events that will show us the day of the Lord is just months away. Before I begin, I want to review two Hebraic concepts. First is the word tavnit. This is a Hebrew word meaning a pattern or an exact replica, where God shows us something with multiple meanings. Two verses that use the word tavnit are in Exodus 25. Verse 9 reads, quote, Moses was told by God to make the tabernacle according to the pattern shown to him in the mountain, unquote. And again in verse 40, quote, Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern that I have shown you here in the mountain, unquote. Two observations I want to note. First, the word for pattern is the word tavnit. The other is that both verses say that God showed Moses this pattern in the mountain, not on the mountain, as most translators use. God took Moses inside the mountain itself and showed him a 360-degree view of the tabernacle like a hologram so that he could study it from every angle. The picture of what he was to build had to be perfect, an exact replica, because every part of the tabernacle held a deeper meaning that God wanted communicated perfectly. For example, the menorah had to be exact, because through it, God teaches us about the seven spirits of God that are always before his throne. So tavniot, which is the plural for tavnit, are used by God as curriculum to teach us about him and about his kingdom. A second concept I want to make sure you understand is the word metaphorical. This is a way of communicating in which two or more things are compared in such a way that they reveal deeper truths. Like parables, these are examples of metaphorical communication. When Jesus taught the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, the disciples asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? And he answered, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, 
nor do they understand. With them, indeed, is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. Now, there's a lot in this one passage, but what I want you to see is that the use of parables is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. With most people, God blocks the ability to hear and see deeper spiritual truth because their ears are dull. They don't seek it. But for his people who hunger after him, God often uses metaphorical language so they will press in for more, and then he increases their ability to understand. I want to teach you how to spot a tavnit. Once you know God's language, you'll be reading along and say, wait a minute, there's a tavnit here that God is showing us something on another level. In Exodus 12, we read the signal that teaches us about Messiah's first coming. Verse 1 says, quote, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month, which was the month of Nisan, shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Unquote. This month, Nissan, started God's time clock for his people. It was the signal that began a 40-year journey. Now, God narrows it down even further by telling us that the tenth of Nissan is when each family was to select a lamb for their house, known as the Passover lamb. This month was repeated twice as a sign, quote, for you, unquote. This was not a sign that God gave everybody. It was only for his people who chose to follow Moses' instructions. This was a 40-year journey that Israel was given to take. Jewish doctrine teaches that this journey is a picture for the journey that we are taking now to the kingdom. They were going to the promised land, lasting 40 years. Metaphorically, then, we are in the midst of our journey that began ancestrally on the 10th of Nisan at the Exodus, and it will last 4,000 years when we arrive at the kingdom. So just as the 10th of Nisan signaled the start of their journey, I'm going to show you how that same date signals the end of our journey. What I'm teaching you today, I've not heard anyone teach. But a little over a year ago, I stumbled on a tavnit that almost lifted me off the couch. And what I saw was that divinely buried within the book of Numbers lies a blueprint for the final 12 months before the day of the Lord. And as I have been studying it deeper, I discovered that this final year begins on the same day that God signaled the beginning of the Exodus, the 10th of Nisan. I believe that just as the tenth of Nisan signals Messiah's first coming, it also signals the year that he returns. I want you to picture a line. Draw a line in your mind and divide it into twelve sections. This line represents the final year or the final twelve months of the wilderness journey. Now, we have to look at this journey first in the natural in order to find the lessons. So let's look at the last year right before Israel 
arrived at the edge of the promised land. I'm going to tell you about three significant events that happened that final year and how these events are signs to show us that we are just months away from the day of the Lord. Event number one is found in the 20th chapter of the book of Numbers. You should recognize the date of this event because it is the same date the journey from Egypt began, the 10th of Nisan. So on the 10th of Nisan, in the 40th and final year of Israel's journey, something significant happened. Miriam died. Now this is significant because Miriam was a prophet. She was a picture representing prophetic revelation. She was the one that God used as a young girl to prophesy that Amram and Jacobed, her parents, would have a son who would deliver the Hebrews from slavery. Her whole life represented pointing the way. I believe her death does the same thing and points the way to a future time period when we begin our final year before the kingdom. Let's look deeper, first in the natural, and then we'll apply the lessons to today. Here's a little backstory. The Jewish commentaries explain that God gave three gifts to sustain the Jewish people during their wilderness journey. He gave them Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, each one representing three separate blessings from God. Miriam represented the well of water. Aaron represented the pillar of cloud, which was a picture of God's physical presence and divine protection for the people. And Moses represented the manna, the heavenly food that sustained them throughout the journey. So the final year begins with the death of Miriam on the 10th of Nisan. It was Miriam who carried the anointing that provided water to sustain the people in the wilderness, which is why the Torah reads that after her death, there was no water. There's also another reason. The Torah does not record that the people wept at her death as they did with Aaron and Moses. And many of the sages believe that because they did not mourn her loss, the source of their water dried up. For it was as if her merit, the gifts that she carried, did not matter to them. They only appreciated her worth after she was gone, when they were thirsty. Now, in the Jewish oral traditions, it is written that Miriam's well accompanied the Jewish people throughout their entire time in the desert. This well, also known as the rock, was a spring that was portable, that moved from place to place, and it was ritually pure. The sages record that this was a known rock. Miriam had the eyes to see it. It was the rock that the angel revealed to Hagar when Ishmael was dying of thirst, and from which Moses was commanded to draw water nearly forty years earlier. We read about this same rock in 1 Corinthians 10 when the Apostle Paul wrote, Our fathers all drank from the supernatural rock which followed them, and the rock was Messiah. So metaphorically speaking, Miriam had supernatural eyes to see the true source of water, the Christ 
who followed them throughout their wanderings and gave them pure water to keep them alive. So after her death, it quit yielding water and was hidden. And that is why Moses had trouble bringing forth water after her death. He couldn't find the right rock. He couldn't see it, and he became angry. Now we know that biblically, water is a picture for the Word of God a stream or issue of spirituality that refreshes and causes growth. So when Miriam died, the people were no longer nourished by the water of the word. Now leading up to her death, you recall that Miriam was severely disciplined by the Lord. In Numbers 12, we see that the Lord struck her with sara'at, which is usually translated as leprosy. Now why did God strike her? because she became arrogant in her prophetic gifting and began to badmouth Moses, God's appointed leader, and lifted herself up as equal to him. One commentator wrote that following this punishment, she never regained her position of prominence. So what would Miriam's death mean, metaphorically for us today? I call this sign the death of the prophetic movement. As more and more people look to prophetic voices today rather than to the Lord and His revealed Word through Moses, they will enter a spiritual drought. Remember, it was Miriam's arrogance about her prophetic gifts that brought about God's discipline. We need to be very careful here that our reliance, especially on this part of the journey, is on God's word alone and not an anointed mouthpiece because that mouthpiece will be taken away. I find it interesting that historically in our day, what's referred to as the prophetic movement, when the prophetic gifting was restored to the body of Christ as we read about in Ephesians 4, this movement began in 1988. This is a date that's chronicled by Bishop Bill Hammond, who has long been regarded as the father of the modern prophetic movement. Now, if you add 40 years to 1988, which represents a biblical generation, you get 2028, which is just five years away from this recording. It could well be that in that year, we may see the signal of Miriam's death fulfilled. But be alert, it will happen on the 10th of Nisan. Event number two in that final year happened four months after Miriam's death when Aaron died on the first of the month of Av. His death is described by the sages as the kiss of God. I want to tell you about the way that Aaron died because the Talmud describes this as the most exalted form of death, meaning that the soul leaves the body without any resistance. Rashi, who was one of the leading Torah scholars from the 11th century, wrote that when it was time for Aaron to die, Moses brought him into a cave on the top of Mount Nebo where a bed had been prepared and a lamp was burning. Now, you've got to understand that Aaron was not sick, but it was his time to go. Moses told Aaron to go up onto the bed, straighten his arms, and close his eyes and his mouth. Aaron did, and God took his spirit right then into his presence. 
Moses was so overwhelmed witnessing the easy and painless way his brother died that he asked God if he could die the same way. God was quiet. No answer. We read in Deuteronomy 32 that when Moses was called at the end of his days, God said, quote, Ascend this mountain and be gathered to your people as did Aaron your brother. So God did fulfill Moses' prayer. I'm telling you this because I have started praying that when the Lord takes me home, that he would take me by the kiss of God. And as I've shared this with others, they are praying to go the same way too. So what does Aaron's death mean for us in our final year of the journey? What is he a picture of? Aaron, as you recall, represented the cloud of glory. When he died, the visible presence of God disappeared. That's why the king of Arad in Numbers 33 started a war with Israel because it was very visible that the Lord's presence was no longer with Israel. God's glory was not there as it had been before. So what is the metaphorical meaning for us today? Just as Miriam's death represents what I call the death of the prophetic movement, I refer to this sign as the death of the body of Christ. Now, before you think I've gone off the rails here, just listen a minute. Aaron was a picture for the entire religious system. God's visible presence and everything that we are accustomed to experiencing that keeps us on even spiritual keel, all that, I believe, will somehow be taken away. How, I don't know exactly, but according to what the Tavnit shows us, it will be removed. Now, why would God do that? I want you to think about it according to the 12-month-long line that we drew in our minds representing the final year. Miriam's gone, month one. Aaron is gone, month five. The only one remaining in this picture is Moses, and he is the one that most Christians have ignored. I see this as both a warning as well as a comforting instruction, depending on how you look at it. To believers who have put aside Judaism and dismissed it as not important to God anymore, this sign is going to be extremely troubling, because nothing at this stage going forward until the kingdom will be familiar. Everything that we have known and regarded as our religious traditions will be gone, and I think that's what Aaron's death depicts metaphorically. I want you to look at this from God's point of view. He is preparing us for the kingdom, right? So let me ask you this. Are churches going to be in the kingdom? No. Therefore, God must remove all physical representation of what does not go into the kingdom so that we will have time to study all that Moses was given to us to get us to the border safely. His assignment was to deliver God's people to the kingdom. He did then, and he will today. The final event, number three, 
Moses disappears. Now we read at the end of Deuteronomy that Moses died. The sages say it happened on the seventh day of the last month of year 40. It was the seventh of the month of Adar. This was the day of his birth, since Moses announced before he was to die, Today I am 120 years old. Oh, and by the way, 120 years times 50 jubilees equals 6,000 years, which is when we arrive at the day of the Lord. Now, when I wrote the phrase, Moses died, I put the word died in quotation marks because no one knows where Moses is buried. Let me read you what happened according to first century historian Josephus. He wrote, quote, As Moses was going to embrace Eleazar and Joshua and was still talking with them, a cloud stood over him suddenly and he disappeared in a certain valley. Although he wrote in the holy books that he died, which was done out of fear, lest they should venture to say that because of his extraordinary virtue, he went to God. Unquote. Now what Josephus means is that Moses was so humble, he didn't dare lift himself up to say he was so worthy of such a disappearance as was Enoch and Elijah. So event number three is Moses' mysterious disappearance at the very end of the 40th year. Now this fits the Tavnit beautifully as a picture of our sudden departure when Messiah calls us up as we step into the day of the Lord. I want you to remember too that at the Mount of Transfiguration, who was it? that prepared Jesus to die as the Passover lamb. It was Elijah and Moses, both of them taken miraculously in the twinkling of an eye, and who will both figure prominently as the two witnesses that we read about in Revelation 11 during the final year of the tribulation before Jesus' physical return to earth to establish God's kingdom. Let me try to wrap up my thoughts here as we close. The 10th of Nisan signals the final year leading to the kingdom, just as it signaled the Exodus some 4,000 years ago. But the significant takeaway is that in both instances, God instructs us to follow Moses until the end. He and he alone was given the commission to lead God's people to the kingdom. Not Miriam, and not Aaron, and not Jesus. I want you to think about this. Messiah fulfilled his calling, and Moses is fulfilling his still, if we have ears to hear. Christians today desperately need to reconnect with our Jewish forefathers. If you don't know how to do that, I want to refer you to my 17-page monograph called Jewish Roots, God's Call to Reconnect. You'll find it in my online store at candislong.com slash store. 
It will teach you how to reconnect and how Jesus and Moses relate to one another. God entrusted Jesus to prepare the way to the Father, and he entrusted Moses to get us to the kingdom safely. If you'd like to share this episode, you'll find it on my podcast page at candislong.com slash podcast. And if you subscribe to my website, I'll update you on all the latest resources and training opportunities. I hope you join me again next time for Lessons in the Latter Days. God bless.